Amen. As we remain standing for the reading of God's Word, I'll ask that you might take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to take two passes through this particular passage, one this morning and one in a couple of weeks, one from a perspective of husbands and the other from a perspective of wives. Before I do that, um, did you tune in to that beautiful, glorious passage in, in Ezekiel 16? What God, our great husband, has done for us. When he took us and he just clothed us and he washed us and he made us beautiful and he adorned us with, with all kinds of things that, that ladies love uh, and with ornaments and jewelry and bracelets and he just lavished upon his people. Now wives, I want you to tune into that passage as I speak to the husbands today, so that as I speak to the husbands, you'll see what our goal and objective is to be like our Lord and beautifying you to the extent where you want us to be the husbands that God is to his people. And you will just say amen uh, in your spirit to the things that we think about today uh, as we consider being godly husbands. So take that and make that to be the frame of reference. And that's what we strive for, that's what we hope for, and that's what we grow to be. Now Ephesians chapter 5, it is very clear that this is an epistle that is speaking about the doctrine of the church. As he changes gears in chapter 4, and he begins to make application of the doctrine of the church after he's expounded the beautiful mystery that she is, he comes to this passage and addresses application to husbands, wives, and then in the next chapter, children, masters, and slaves. But he's doing this to teach Christ in his church. He makes it very clear, and which we'll see here in the end of this chapter. Beginning at verse 22, now let's listen to the Word of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let each wife see that she respects her husband. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we call upon you now to fill us with your Spirit 
Give us ears to hear and eyes to see that which the world cannot, that which the world spurns and recoils against this very thing. But what a beautiful picture this is as we see it through the eyes of faith in the biblical warrant that it is, the truth. And so, Lord, we pray that You would sanctify us in the truth and wash us even now in the water of the Word, making Yourself a bride beautiful and glorious without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and fit for the great royal groom. Lord, I pray for the minister who bears the Word today, that as I speak, may it be as the oracles of God, and that You would take my gifts and use them for Your glory, and that the truth will abound in this time. And we pray that You would be glorified in this message and apply it to each of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. It's interesting how when we look at marriage, marriage is the, the metaphor of the reality that is true between Christ and the church. Even in the passage before us, it tells us, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. For what reason? For what reason? Why? And it's the very previous verse, in verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I'm not going to focus on that particular passage here, but I want you to be focusing on that particular verse there, later in the service. Life is defined in terms of relationships. When you think about the fullness of life, you're going to have to bring your relationships to bear upon what you mean. You can't have a fullness of life without having wonderful relationships. Jesus defined eternal life as a relationship with God the Father and with Christ His Son in John 17.3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you and the Son whom you have sent. God uses all of our human relationships in order for us to better understand who He is and our relationship with Him. Even in in the Trinity that God is, He reveals a father-son relationship. But how would we know what that is even about if we ourselves did not have children or a parent? So these relationships are designed for us to know God, not merely to know about God, but to experience God Himself in a relationship. And in this is life. God has called us His friends. Jesus said He's not ashamed to call us His brethren or brothers. We are to address God as Father. We are called the bride or the wife of Christ. We're called sons of God. And these relationships are all analogous to the relationships with God. 
and given that we might experience knowing Him more. So it is here in this passage addressed to husbands and wives, but it is clearly talking about Christ in the church. So much so, He wants us to make sure He gets to the point. But I speak this mystery about Christ in the church. The relationship we have with God is the springhead, it's the fountainhead from which all other relationships will exist and will flow and will grow and be nourished. And those relationships that we have with each other in turn help us to understand our relationship with God. That's why the Scripture says that you say you love God, but you don't love your brother. You cannot, that's just, you can't do that. You can't love your brother or love God who you can't see, and while not loving your brother who you do see. He is the physical arena, the sphere that you are living out your love for God in relationship to Him. So as we consider the vision for heritage, a biblical vision of the family and all these relationships, not only is a part, but it's quintessential to who we are. This morning, I want us to consider from this passage, husbands as loving, lordly leaders. Adrian Rogers would be downright proud of that. We'll come back to the wives in a couple of weeks, working through the same passage, but from a different perspective. But this morning, I want us to do so from the husbands. And there's much application as wives hear this, thinking about our relationship with God. That's where it all is going to go back. As we address address our roles within our relationships, they're intended to teach us something very profound, something wonderful about God. And the more godly we are, the more like God, godly, we are in our relationships, the more faithful we are in our roles, the better He is revealed through us, and the closer we are to the Lord, the more glorious it all becomes. So there are three important functions in the role of a godly husband that he must perform, given to us in this passage before us. First of all, a husband is to be the Lord to his wife. Second of all, he is to be a laborer to his wife. And third, he is to be a lover to his wife. As we consider a husband is to be, first of all, a Lord to his wife. He is a lordly head over his wife as Christ is head over the church. This idea has a a regal aspect to it. The idea of headship today has gotten a very bad rap. And honestly, this is a difficult doctrine for so many of us to get. Not because of the difficulty of the teaching, because the teaching is actually rather simple, but it's because of our fallen nature and the culture out of which we've come that has shaped our thinking about it. But let's get back to terms. The English term for husband is a term that means manager. In the history of the word, it comes from an old Norse origin that means master of the house. A 
husband is the master of his house. That actually fits well with both the Old Testament and the New Testament data for words for husband that actually mean Lord or Master. In fact, we have examples like from 1 Peter chapter 3, 6. Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. Adonai. The husband is a Lord to his wife. And the wife belongs to the Lord. The husband is the master of his wife. He is Lord of his life. Now wives, I want you to be thinking Ezekiel 16, and not the way that the world has trained you to think. This is a great responsibility for a husband. And it's a responsibility for the husband for the outcome of his wife. The idea of lordship, which is included in the term husband, implies a stewardship of resources with authority. Stewardship implies that he is under authority, and therefore he will give an answer to an authority with the authority that he's been entrusted with. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. He is under authority. And the head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. A Lord is responsible for the stewardship that's entrusted to him. As God gives a man a wife, he is responsible to God for this gift. He is responsible to God for the stewardship that God has entrusted to this Lord. And as Christ is Lord and head over his wife and Savior of the body, so the husband is a Lord protector and defender, both physically and spiritually, of his wife. He is her head. And that means protection for the wife. That means uh, that she doesn't have to bear certain burdens because he is bearing them for her. It's a great blessing for the wife to be under headship. It's a great blessing for us husbands to be under the headship of Christ. Husbands, you are a Lord to your wife. A master. And husbands have a God-given authority over his wife, that not only that she must recognize that authority, but he must recognize that authority. So husbands are a lord over their wives. And that's a good thing. That's the way God made it. But we see in verses 25-27 through that a husband is a laborer to his wife. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word, that He might present to Himself a beautiful bride without spot or blemish or any such thing. So husbands ought to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. Husband is a laborer to his wife. The term husband 
which means Lord and Master of the house, but it also has another sense that we often think of in terms of husbandry, and that is to cultivate, to be a gardener. When we think of husbandry, we think of tilling and gardening. We think of cultivation, and so a husband is to cultivate his his wife. He is a laborer in the garden, in the vineyard. And husbands are responsible to beautify their wives. They are so to love their wives in this gardening labors that it sanctifies her. He takes initiative to wash her in the water of the Word because there's an end in mind in this gardening. A glorious bride. A beautiful bride bride. And it's the husband's responsibility to bring that out. A gardener, he sets out with a plan in mind of how he wants his garden to turn out. If you're going to put all that work into it, you better have a plan. He assesses the field. He sees the the soil that he has to work with. Perhaps he has to address the soil and and work with it before it's even uh, good to, to take the seed. And so he organizes the field and he does all the necessary work and he plows and he tills and he weeds and then he plants and he fertilizes and he does more weeding and he waters and he does more. Weeding is always a job that seems to be never finished. It's hard work. And finally, there's harvest. The harvest is when the labor pays off. But a gardener begins with the end in mind. He assesses the situation up front. He determines where he wants to go and the fruit that he desires. And he puts his hand to the plow and he labors in the work of cultivation of his garden and vineyard. And that's the same with the husband. That's where the word implies. He's master over the garden. He has a work and responsibility in the garden and to the garden. A husband has a gift from the Lord. It's called a wife and she is designed to respond to his cultivation. In fact, the wife needs her husband to lead. A wife is by God's divine design... She needs him to cultivate and foster her spiritual growth. And that is what he is called to do. That is his role in life as husband. A wife needs her husband to help her overcome sin issues in her life, to help her overcome fears, to help her to walk by faith and not by sight. And so... A husband is called to nourish and cherish his wife. Verse 29. Those two words, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And so a husband is for his wife. Now the word nourish there means to bring to maturity. And the word cherish means to keep warm and to cherish with warm affections. A husband must be content with his own wife. A husband must not compare his wife or complain about his wife. This is the gift that God has given to him. And he is to nourish that wife. He he is to take 
wherever she is, and He is to bring her to maturity. That is His God-given assignment as husband. Young men, to say that you want a wife is a good thing. To want a, a wife is a natural thing. But to do the work of your husbandry is going to take some work. But it's work that God will bless by the grace of God. It's work that He has assigned to you. So when you take on the mantle and you give your vows before God to this woman that you are receiving, you are taking your vow to uphold your duty as a godly husband to cultivate and to nourish and bring her to maturity. That is given your assignment and your role in your marriage. A husband is a lord and a steward over his wife and is one who has been given the task to beautify his wife. That's your assignment, to beautify your wife. Your objective is to beautify your wife by sanctifying her in the truth. In other words, you have to be a spiritual leader and to bring her to spiritual maturity by nourishing her in the Word of God. You have to be that federal husband to her. That representative of Christ to her. That's why she is to obey you as unto the Lord. As unto Christ. She calls you Lord, not in the highest sense of the term, but as Master under her head and Lord Jesus. Christ continues to cultivate His bride in the truth. How thankful we are. Christ, as He begins to nourish her in the water of the Word, and she becomes into the fullness of maturity, and, and her body grows and matures, and the time of love has come. He begins adorning her and, and, and then begins to adorn her and robe her and put bracelets, so all that Ezekiel 16 stuff. She just loves it. That's how our wives ought to feel about us. They just ought to love our lordly leadership and cultivation, nourishing them to maturity. That's what Christ is doing with us. He's cleansing us of our sins. And so a husband is to take the water of the Word and wash his wife in the Word so that she is ultimately looking unto her Savior Christ, the, the Lord and husband of us all. To strengthen her in her faith so that she can see with a greater clarity the, the glory of the Lord Jesus. And the greater we live in the character and the image of Christ in our homes, the greater vision she will have of her Lord. So it behooves us to, as husbands, to be growing in our character so that we present the right kind of picture, the right image. We are to strengthen our wife in her faith and not cater to her fears, but thus annulling her fears in the wash of Christ's love. For love will cast out those fears that haunt her. 
We are to cultivate the inner beauty of that woman that she desires to be and that is awaiting to bud as a flower. And it's up to us to cultivate that so that in perfect timing, all of that cultivation and work begins to flower. And the flower begins to scent with beautiful perfume. And we smell the flower. We see the flower. We pick the flower. We love the garden that she's become. Because with all of that laboring in the garden, the husband, a Christian husband with a Christian wife, can expect a delightful outcome at the time of harvest. A beautiful and glorious wife. You know what the Bible in common terms here is basically saying about what Christ is doing to the church? She's a knockout. She's like one of those head turners. Whoa! That's what he's doing. He's taking something ugly and defiled and, 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 and just wallowing in, in her blood. And, and now he takes her and he sets her apart. She was left for waste. And he takes her and loves her. And his love begins to beautify her. And her character begins to grow. And all of a sudden before you know, whoa! Who is that? A Christian husband has been given the task to make his wife a knockout for the Lord Jesus Christ. From the inside out. You were designed to do this, husbands. She was designed so that she needs this to become that godly woman that she is to be. Now, if you're not recoiling in your spirit with me just yet, and I hope you're not, but if you're really allowing the Spirit to speak in you these truths, there is so much promise, there is so much hope, no matter where you are in your marriage, no matter what things you have that stand against you, and if you just think, there's just no hope for me, that's, you don't know my wife. No, that's the part that by the grace of God, You are to walk by faith in the gospel. You're not to do this in your flesh. In fact, do you try to do it in your flesh? You're just going to get defeated all over again because God wants you to see, no, I want you to trust my word. As he says in Isaiah, just try me in these things and see if my word and my truth is not going to prevail in this. Beautiful and glorious wife. Who who would not want one of those? Well, husbands, that's your responsibility. Many husbands wimp out of their responsibilities as husbands. They're either afraid to be lord of their households because of the resistance they get, or they're lazy gardeners unwilling to put the work into their vineyard that's required to get a beautiful harvest. They try to be nice to their wives. But what God desires is loving leadership, which is quite a different thing than being nice. Being nice is not a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, be nice. It's not there. You can go home and check it. Being nice actually implies a weakness 
within the Word. It has an idea of being amiable, but carries with it a weakness of just trying to get along. We're going to be amiable, but there's tension here. I'm going to be nice, and I'm going to overlook this. We're going to compromise. We're We're just going to kind of ignore the tension in the air, and we're just going to kind of get by. A husband cannot afford to be nice. He's got a stewardship to give an account to God for. His wife is counting on him in ways that perhaps she doesn't even realize. He is to be, get this now, loving and joyful and peaceable and long-suffering and kind and good. Faithful, gentle, self-controlled. All those fruit of the Spirit to her, but nice is not one of them. And certainly he is not to be ugly, so don't take the, the nice thing. But, but women think they want nice. Women don't want nice. A husband nor his wife can afford for him to be nice. Merely amiable to keep the peace. She can't afford that. She doesn't want that. I like the way that Doug Wilson introduces a topic in his book in Reforming Marriage on this subject. He calls this the nice guy syndrome. I'm going to quote a portion there. Susan believes that the man she is married to is a very nice man. And so she does not really know why she is so frustrated with him. When she gets angry with him, she feels guilty, not because of the anger, but because it has no apparent cause. She is deeply dissatisfied, and yet she feels that no one could really understand why she is frustrated. How can others understand when she doesn't even understand? Why is she so upset with such a nice guy? End of quote. That's the problem with nice guys. They end up frustrating their wives because they're not leading and loving as their loving lords. He says, quote, A spiritual eunuch is one who is impotent in his masculinity. The ironic thing is that most spiritual eunuchs are nice guys. Ladies, you don't want your husband to be nice. You really don't want that. You want them to be kind and gentle and loving and peaceable and joyful, self-controlled. You want all of that. You don't want a nice guy. Husbands can't afford to be nice guys like that. Jesus wasn't a nice guy. If you're ever going to learn about how to be a godly husband, just, just look at Jesus. Now, there's going to be some things you're not going to be able to duplicate, and some things I would probably encourage you not to try. Um, but just look how Jesus... He wasn't amiable with his wife to keep the peace when she confronted him in her attempt to keep him from going to the cross. Never so be it, Lord. You're not going to go to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. That is a husband speaking to his wife. That is the godly, perfect husband of Jesus speaking to Peter. 
at that moment representing all of us in that sense. And that's how he addressed his wife. He wasn't being ugly. He wasn't being nice. He knew where he was going. His wife could not afford for him simply to be nice and to keep the peace at that moment. He could not afford to give his wife at that moment the thing that she said that she wanted. She needed him to do what she did not want him to do. Husbands, you must give to your wives not what she says she wants, but what the Bible says she wants. And there's a big difference. Husbands are lords of their wives. Husbands are laborers to their wives. But husbands, third, are lovers to their wives. And this is where you have to keep it all together. Verse 28 through 31. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Now look here, as you're seeing this juxtaposition here, you're thinking Christ and His church. And you're thinking Christ in His body and blood and flesh and bones, and yet He's using the church as the physical manifestation of Christ And as he speaks about his body, he is actually referring to her. Okay? Yes, love. All men love themselves. But they are to love their wives as they are their own bodies. As Christ loved his body as he loves himself. And so we have this. And so that love then is what holds it all together. That love is what characterizes the lordship. The love is what characterizes that gardening and that laboring. Husbands are to love their wives. So everything I've said so far about lording and and laboring are qualified and enveloped in this godly love. A biblical love is exercised in service and sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Gave His whole life for her. Left glory for her that she might have it. Came to death for her that she might live. Sacrifice and service is how this love is characterized in its activity. A husband is the Lord and master of his wife. That doesn't mean he lords over her. But he fulfills his lordship in love by serving her and making sacrifices for her. It's in this character of love that makes all the difference in the world and being her Lord and labor so that if He is loving her this way, she's like, yes, yes, husband, yes. Here's my other arm and another bracelet. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's not the way the world trains you to think. That's not the tension of the curse that you have upon you. But in Christ, where the curse is being removed and you're being renewed in the image of Christ, you need to see it God's way and see His plan and see how beautiful this is when it's lived out. 
Husbands and wives are meant to love each other. But wives are particularly designed by God to be loved by their husbands. Love is what they need most from their husbands. Love that their Lord will protect them. Love that will cultivate her spiritual life. Feeling the love that a husband has for her, she desires to be loved in a way that he gives her not what she always wants in the moment, but what the Bible says she wants, and he is after that best interest. And yes, a love that will delight in giving his wife many, many gifts. But a love that will be a companion that's fitted for her. And when God made the woman out of the side and brought her to the man and the two became one flesh, He made a woman that is perfectly compatible. The very thing that Adam was lacking and he couldn't find among the animals, God made in a wife. And he like, whoa, this is woman. This is good. It's a love that cares about a wife's needs. A love that cares even about her desires. A love that is gentle. A love that is patient. A love that is kind. A love that suffers long. A love that will lead. And More than anything else, this is what a wife needs from her husband. This is really what the wife wants from her husband. And the husband needs to provide it in such a way that the wife knows that he really loves her. Men, you need to realize that love is an action before it is a feeling. Love is an action before it is a feeling. Well, I don't really have feelings for you. Well, get to love, go love your wife. Go love your wife. Well, I don't feel like loving her. I didn't say what you feel like. Go love your wife. Go serve her. Go sacrifice for her. The feeling will come. Love is a fruit of the Spirit before it is commanded, but it is also commanded since it is our responsibility. For a husband to love his wife, he must be diligent about his lording and laboring in the way that Christ does us. Think about the analogy from Proverbs, if you can see this analogy. It speaks to parents, but... Don't misunderstand my analogy, okay? When it says in Proverbs 13, 24, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. I am not saying husbands go spank your wives. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying if you neglect your children by not raising them and culturing them and training them up, if you just take your hands off, the Bible says you hate them, you don't love them. You give them everything they said that they wanted. They, you, 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 you cater to every whim and cry of your child. You're not loving your child. You hate them. That's what the Bible says. In the like manner, so likewise, a husband who ignores the cultivation of his wife is not loving her. Christ put his church and his bride before his own self-interest. He, he left glory for his bride. 
He put his wife before his own interest of glory. He put his wife before his own comfort. He put his wife before his needs. He had sleepless nights. He has creaturely comforts as well as a human. And when you think about the antithesis of love, the the opposite of that would be negligence and laziness, selfishness. Do what I want rather than what you need from me. And in one sense, Jesus didn't really want to go to the cross. In one sense. Lord, if it be any other way, to deliver this cup from me, I pray, but nevertheless, thy will be done. But in another sense, quite altogether, he wanted to go to the cross for the results that it would bring for the sake of his bride and for the glory of his Father. So he endured the shameful death of the cross for the joy that was set before him. Now someone, if a husband wants a garden full of weeds, no husbandry is necessary. If someone wants a wife to be full of frustration, there's nothing that needs to be done to accomplish that in your marriage. Just don't do anything. Your wife will be frustrated. She won't know why. She will be frustrated. So all you have to do is leave her alone. Don't try to be a husband to her. Weeds will grow. She will be frustrated. That's not what God has given you to do. And that's not what you want to do. You don't want a frustrated wife. But if you leave her alone, it's a very unloving thing to do. To love your wife, you cannot leave her alone. There are some men who are harsh and domineering. They lord over their wives. And what they are essentially doing is they just trample the garden like a, like a pig in, in, in your garden. If you've ever had pigs and you've had a garden, you know that's not a good, that's not a good thing. If you haven't had pigs in a garden... Just drive down Sulphur Creek when Kyle had his pigs out in the front yard that got out. It just tears the place apart. That's, you don't want to be harsh and domineering, lording it over your wives as, a, as an unbeliever would take this and understand it in a completely different, unloving way. But there are far too many men and even Christians who don't do anything in the garden except stand around and watch the weeds to grow to the deterioration of the vineyard. And the proverb says something about that. Look at the lazy man. Look at his vineyard. Both of those are not loving your wives according to the Scriptures. Husbands, you are a covenant head with your wife. You're in a covenant relationship with your wife. You are her federal head. You're responsible for her well-being. And God has graced you with the ability by your divine appointment in this organic relationship to influence your wife and to help her in ways that she does not do the same for you. Now, she helps and influences you, but not in the same way. She is designed different from you, and she is needing you, expecting you, yes, even wanting you to be a husband to her, to lead her where she does not say she wants to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) 
to lead somebody, you're going to lead them where they otherwise would not have gone on their own. But if you're doing this following the headship and leadership of Jesus, it's right on the road where she needs to be. Ladies, I know that takes a lot of trust in God for you to follow your husbands that way. But we can't ignore the biblical wisdom and the plan because all of this is pointing us back to God and Christ and the Trinity. Husbands, you're a federal head and you're responsible for your wife's well-being. You are her Lord and protector all the time. You are her laboring sanctifier and cultivator of the garden. You are her loving partner. And your wife needs you in more ways than she recognizes or acknowledges that she needs you. She needs you to love her just like we need Christ to love us. She needs you to lead her just like we need Christ to lead us. She needs you to sense your caring protection just like we need to sense Christ's protection over us. She needs to feel and sense your deep sacrificial love, just like we sense Christ's love for us. She needs you to sanctify her in the Word, just like Jesus is sanctifying and washing us in the washing of the water of the Word. Any godly husband, any Christian Husband can do that with any Christian wife, and he is expected to. It's a beautiful thing when you see this begin to blossom. Put a little bit of effort into it. Just know the weeds are going to be coming back. There's a time of harvest. You have to begin with the harvest in mind and work toward that end. Don't expect this to change overnight. Don't exchange, expect all of these details to, to flourish. And Wives, don't expect your husbands to be a great gardener. I'm not a great gardener. But husbands, you're expected to do this. Why? Because God wants to be glorified in your marriage. God wants to be bring out the fruit in your life. God wants to show you how it's done, how He designed it, how it's to be, why He saved you to be this beautiful bride without spot or blemish. And He did not call you into the Christian world in the kingdom of light to make a mockery of you, but to fit you for the very things that He has designed you to be. Now, husbands, hear me on this. We've gotten a lot of misunderstanding today. It does not matter if your wife is smarter than you. It does not matter if she knows more Scripture than you. It does not matter if she is more theologically astute than you. It does not matter if she is more spiritual than you. God designed her to be sanctified by you. And you have to be about that. No matter where you are on the continuum, it does not matter. He has fit you by the grace of God to be successful in sanctifying her. And if she is more theologically astute, if she is more spiritual and more prayer, all the better soil you have to work with and how much easier your job is going to be so you can thank God for it.
But it does not mean that abrogates or annuls your responsibility and she still needs you in order to grow in her sanctification. So God desires you to do the work of husbandry. And He gives you expectations that you will be successful if you put your hand to the plow in the truth and with faith. It is within your ability to beautify your wife from the inside out. And let me tell you, a wife that grows from the inside out, uh, the, the outside changes too. The outside changes too. There's nothing more than your wife wants than to know she is beautiful to you and to the Lord. And it is within your strength and your design and hers to be that and to become that. Husbands, lead your wives spiritually. Take the Bible and read it with her. Take your Bible and, and lead her into a time of prayer. Wife, come on, let me pray with you. Let me pray over you. Let her hear you pray for her and for her beauty and for her glory. Christ let his disciples, he, he let his church hear this wonderful prayer in John 17 that we're listening to a, a prayer, a conversation between God the Son and God the Father. Oh, those that you have given to me, I have not lost a one. I have kept them in your name. Now you keep them while I go to the cross. They are yours. May they be one with, with us as I am with you. And, and, and we're listening in on this prayer. Husbands, you can take the lead and pray for your wife in this way. Take and assess your garden. Look at the soil that you've been given. And begin taking the weeds out and begin gently and lovingly be the husband that your wife needs, that your wife wants. It's your responsibility. You do this deliberately and with the authority that God has given you. You have authority that has been given to you to be her Lord, and she needs you to be her Lord. And if you do this right, she will in time thank and praise you. She will become very beautiful to you and God, and she will come back in time, and she will thank you. This is what Christ has done for us. We thank Him. God continues to give us exactly what we need that promotes our greatest joy. That's the perfect husband. And that's what He has given us husbands to do with our wives. It is the vision of heritage to cultivate godly husbands who are loving, lordly leaders of their wives. May God be praised and glorified as we grow in this assignment together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that Your Spirit would guide us to look upward to our Heavenly Husband, who is our great warrior and Lord, the great King who dawns on His sword and goes out to battle. And yet as the Psalm 45 reminds us that His wife is there, adorned with all of her beauty, because He has given her her beauty. She finds her beauty within her husband and what He has made her to be. And we pray, Lord, that us husbands would be faithful to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And it would be something that would be a delight to them to yield to. 
Lord, we confess our weaknesses and our sins. We confess our lack of courage and our, our doubts. We confess our, our sins of negligence and our sins of fear. So we ask that You would forgive us of these things. And now as we repent and change our mind, and that we would put our hand to the plow, going the opposite direction, we pray that You would equip us with wisdom under the headship of Christ. That He would lead us in the path of righteousness. And so we would follow Him and our wives would follow suit. We pray, Heavenly Father, that You would give us faith to do that which You've called us to do. And oh God, we pray that You would show us the fruit of our labors. That we would delight in what You do in our wives as we love them. And we pray You would work in them, giving them patience with uh, us being somewhat untrained gardeners. But Lord, Your grace will, will be sufficient as we find our way and founder around in the soil and the dirt and trying to find our way to plow correctly. Where we fall so short, the Lord Jesus Christ is at work, perfecting our work. And so we ask that where sin abounds, we pray that Your grace would much more abound and keep us from losing heart and pray that we would set our eye to the, the goal and the objective and that we might show forth Christ and His church in our homes. And may our children see it. May they see the love of a husband to his wife. May they desire to follow a, an example set before them in the homes. And where that has not been, we pray that You would sanctify the home and change it from this day forward. Give the wives a desire for this and not recoil against the Scripture according to the way the world would. Give the husbands a desire to rise up and to be faithful no matter how old, no matter how young. May they, may they rise up and to glorify You for You are our great husband and You alone Oh God, take the glory. So we pray we would be faithful. And may you be glorified in beautiful marriages, in godly homes, in godly children that would then continue to grow and stand on shoulders far higher than we have ever achieved by your grace. And we pray this for the glorious name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our great husband. Amen.